You know, sometimes as you read through the Bible, and more particularly as you read through the New Testament, you will come across verses that are, um, at first glance, they're a bit strange. They may even seem a little bit archaic to us in our day and age. You can even assume that maybe some of those verses, when you look at them compared to some other ones, you might even think that those verses are in contradiction with other verses in the Bible. Because it just kind of is mind-boggling and baffling as to what is really going on. And so we have a kind of the example of that comes out of Paul's letter to the Corinthian church, where he said, For God is not a God of confusion, but a God of peace. In all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but, be, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husband at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in the church. So, is that really what Paul is saying for all churches of all times? Is that women, you can't talk in the church. You can't say anything in the church. Matter of fact, it would almost seem like he's forbidding you to even sing in the church. And is that really the message? Because when you take a look at what he said in the Galatians letter that he sent to them, he said, in Christ's family, there can be no division into Jew or non-Jew, slave or free, male and female. Among us, you are all equal. That is, we are in common relationship with Jesus Christ. So now you have Paul writing to one church that we're all equal, that there is nobody that's hierarchy within the church. We all come to, to the cross of Jesus on the same ground. We're all equal. We all have the same voice. But yet in another letter, over here he's saying, you women just need to be quiet. You shouldn't be talking. You shouldn't be whispering. You shouldn't be doing any of that stuff. And so it gets a little bit confusing because we're wondering, what is it that the Bible's really trying to say? What is Paul trying to say to us? Because it's a little confusing when you read those together. And then you have what Jesus says, because Jesus says some really great things too. And so he said this. Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So if the Son sets you free, you will be what? Indeed. We're not bound by the law. We're not bound by the regulations of the law. And yet up here, Paul says that, that you're supposed to be submission, submissive as the law says you're to be. So all of this can be a little bit confusing, and, and it could cause you to go like, I don't even know what to do. So there's this little thing that we have to keep in mind. To have a correct understanding of what's being conveyed, there are contextual considerations that we need to keep in mind. Some of them are cultural, some of them are a, a period of vocation, and so on. So sometimes we read through the Bible to keep, and we keep those thoughts in mind as we can as, the, as we're reading so that we get the best picture and the most accurate understanding of what the text is saying that we're studying. So going back to this Corinthian passage, having kept the teaching within the context of what was going on and that women were supposed to be silent in the church was due to a variety of concerns that had come to Paul that were being conveyed to him about some things that were going on in the church with a few of the women that had come in. Now, the issue is this. 
that the, the women, when they came into the Corinthian church, they were experiencing a whole new freedom that they've never had before. Before they didn't have a voice. Before they were just a piece of property that could be bought and sold. They, were, they, had, they had less than nothing. And then when, you came, when they came to Christ, they experienced this freedom that Jesus said that you get to have. You will be free, free indeed when you're, when you're walking with Jesus. And so in that freedom, these women started to abuse some of that freedom that they had. And so during the church service, what they were doing is they were standing up and they were asking questions about incorporating some of the teachings from the cultic worship that was going on in the city of Corinth. And they were asking questions about integrating cultic worship with worship of God. And it was causing mayhem. And it was causing all kinds of problems. And people were totally confused about, do we incorporate this stuff from these other temples that we've been saved out of and we've come into this new life with Christ? What's the deal here? And so that's why Paul says, for God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. As in all churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission as to the law says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home for it is shameful for a woman to speak to church. So he's basically saying to the Corinthian church, if you're trying to cause a disruption in the church, that is not from God because God is a God of order. Here's what it should look like. So he's not excluding women from talking in church. He's not excluding women from doing anything. Matter of fact, Paul's probably the biggest champion of women's rights next to Jesus. There should have been a hearty amen to that. There you go, ladies. Get on that train. So we want to keep that process in mind as we step into what Jesus is going to be teaching us this morning. And that's going to come from uh, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7, verse 6. It's one verse. So we're going to spend quite a bit of time on it. So let's read this verse and see what Jesus says. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw pearls before the pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. So in this passage, we see some people are swine. Some people, unlike you, because you're spiritually sensitive to all that's going on, some of those people are evil. They cannot appreciate what is sacred and holy. It's as if they have some kind of spiritual disability. You, on the other hand, have pearls, pearls of wisdom, pearls of truth, pearls of good advice, pearls that come and straighten people out if only they would receive them but they're just a bunch of spiritual clods like people of other religions or secular ones. So you should not waste your time on such people. They're not worthy. That's what Jesus is saying, right? No, quick question. Gotcha. Actually, I took those words from a sermon that has been preached in a lot of different churches. Because that's kind of the mentality that they think about this passage. If you don't, you don't bring it into the context, because what's being said here doesn't really seem to be Jesus-esque, if you know what I mean. Uh, the, the, 
this business about pearls and pigs is one of the most intriguing sayings, and it's most one that most people have often been quite unsure about as they've read it. So a lot of times, it just gets skipped over. And so there was a, a group of children, and they were asked to interpret, what does this saying mean? Don't cast your pearls before swine. Jacob, a six-year-old, said, I would never give my sister my toys. Is that what Jesus had in mind? My toys and my pearls and my sister is, my, is the swine? Now, my oldest daughter, Leela, she came home from school when she was in the third grade and made an announcement to the entire family. It went something like this. Not all pigs are boys, but all boys are pigs. <laughs> so... I'm not sure I agree with her on that, um, but nonetheless, and by the way, just a reminder, I did fail art, okay? So here we go. We're going to put a little, little something up here. Um, uh, let's see, we'll give them that and that, something like that, and something like that. There. Thank you. So today we're talking about pigs, but we're also going to talk about the pearls, right? And so, you know, we need to have a little representation of both of them. And by the way, these are black pearls right here, just in case you've never seen a black pearl before and, and you want to get some, go to Hawaii, I think, is where you get those. Anyway, so, so these are pearls, a string of pearls, and so you don't want to give the pearls to the swine. Now, here's, here's, the, here's the problem we have with this whole concept, is that some people um, are unworthy swine who you should not help. That's the interpretation. But according to the Bible, it's quite consistent who is the sinful, wicked, fallen, broken, all we like sheep have gone astray, messed up people category. Who are those people? They're you and they're me, right? We have gone from being pigs to being sheep. Thank you, Jesus. And, and so now we've got this great treasure that Jesus has given to us. He is the treasure, the pearl of heaven. And, and so what has kind of been indicated by a lot of people is that he should never, if, if it's the case that pearls are not supposed to be cast before swine, we're the swine, we're the pigs, then Jesus being the pearl of heaven, then he should never have been brought from heaven to earth to be among us if that's the reality. But that is not what Jesus is saying here. Actually, what Jesus is saying is quite uh, precisely the opposite. For it is, he came for the messed up, wicked, sinful people. He actually said it this way. He said, it is not the healthy who needs a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. Jesus did not teach that we shouldn't do good for those who might reject or misuse the pearls that we've been given. Matter of fact, he taught that you are to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes the sin, the sun to rise on the evil and the good. So let's just be really clear about this. Jesus is not saying here 
that certain classes of people are to be viewed as pigs or dogs that are unworthy of great pearls. Nobody ever taught or modeled the worth and dignity of every human being better than Jesus did. Jesus had this depth, this clarity, and urgency of stepping into people's lives. You see, the problem with giving a pearl to the pig is that the pig is, it's not that the pig isn't worthy, it's that the pearl is not hel a helpful thing for the pig. Think about that. What does the pig want? He wants slop. He wants you to fill his trough with food, and he wants to eat that food. And so Jesus is actually getting to a deeper problem in human relationships with wisdom that could save your friendships, your marriages, or your relationships with your kids. Sometimes the pearl you know you have that is so wonderful that you want to give to the other person is not something that is going to be received by the person you're giving it to. And in that case, you should try and force it upon that person. If you have a bunch of slop in the trough, you're going to have a happy, healthy pig. But if you keep throwing pearls into the trough, the pig is not going to be happy. And what the pig is going to do, it's going to trample the pearls. And the next thing you know, he's going to bite you and take a chomp out of you because you, after all, are edible. And the pearls are not. So, one of the great stories about what it looks like to be engaged with pearls and bringing them before somebody who will receive them is the story about Jesus when he met the woman at the well. You want to talk about somebody who had a totally messed up life. It was this lady at the well because she didn't, she didn't have a clue about what it looked like to not only love somebody, but what it felt like to be loved by somebody. And so in the great context of things, if you really wanted to take this passage of uh, putting something holy before dogs, you could have used that analogy with this woman at the well because the Jews looked at the Samaritans as worse than a dog. That's really the way the Jews viewed Samaritan people. And so this Samaritan woman, she came out to the well at noontime. Jesus is the only one there. And now you have a Jewish man talking to a Samaritan woman. A Jewish rabbi would never talk to even a Jewish woman. And Jesus is a rabbi. And now he's having this conversation with this Samaritan woman. And he starts to bring the pearls of his great truth and he gives them to her. And what does she do with those pearls? She willingly is accepting the pearls that Jesus is giving to them. Giving to her. And the end result, I'm not going to tell you the whole story, but the end result is, is that not only does she put her faith in Jesus and become a sheep, but she goes back to her people, everybody who despises her because she's had five husbands and now is sleeping with a man. And she goes back and says, I have met the Messiah. You need to come and see him. He's told me everything about my life. In other words, he has great pearls of truth that are for you. The whole city, the whole town, 
came out to meet Jesus, and Jesus taught them. They begged him to stay, and that was the first conversion of an entire town to Jesus as Messiah. And it came through the Samaritans, known as Samaritan dogs. So Jesus isn't saying that you shouldn't give what is sacred to dogs. Not because the dog is unworthy, he, but it, it's just not helpful to give something sacred to a dog. You have to be able to understand the importance of what you're presenting to the person you're presenting it to. Now, in Matthew 7, we've been looking at this week by week about how we're supposed to, the importance of growing in our relationships. And so, two weeks ago, Jesus was talking to us, and you can go online if you didn't get this message, do not judge or thou shalt not judge. Jesus was talking about that point of it. He warns people against condemnation engineering. In other words, bringing condemnation on other people without keeping in mind who they are and who we are and what we have going on in our own lives. Then Jesus said, don't point out the speck in your brother or sister's eye when there's a log in your own eye. And he warns people about criticizing or blaming or blame shifting. And so now he says, don't throw your pearls to pigs. He's talking about the wrong ways religious people relate to others. Some of you are wondering, does this mean, because we give stuff out free here. So some of you are wondering, do we get a pearl today? No. You could maybe get a pig or a goat if you see the goat farmer. He might have some pearls. Jesus is forbidding the practice of what we might call pearl pushing. This is when you're trying to push your pearls, your wisdom, your will, your way, your superior knowledge, onto another person, even when they don't want it, even when it's not being helpful. Now, if you've been through the Bible a couple of times, you might be wondering, doesn't, uh, doesn't pearl in the Bible always mean something of great value to Jesus? Well, Jesus is like any great communicator. When he talks about the kingdom of heaven, we're studying these day, the days uh, as a pearl of a great price. But you should know that as a great communicator, Jesus often uses images that are quite flexible. Like one time, he describes the kingdom of God being like yeast, and it grows like that. I mean, it just grows. But yet at another time, he talks about being aware of the yeast of the Pharisees that's going to mess up the unleavened bread. And so in one place, it's a positive thing that yeast is, and yet in the next spot, he's talking about yeast in a negative context. And so what he's really wanting us to get is that we are to be not pushing pearls just to get into people's lives, into the, we, we have this habit of criticizing more naturally than encouraging. And that's what pearl posters do. They, they come in with a critical attitude. And Paul says, let us not, therefore, turning a critical eye on one another. That's what pearl, try and say that three times real fast. Pearl pushers. That's what they do. Pearl, pearl pushers take it upon themselves to correct everybody else because what they want is they want everybody to notice whether 
the other people are wrong rather than themselves. Somebody said one time that there's only two kinds of drivers in the world. And you may have noticed this. They're the manics, and they drive super fast and super crazy. They're dodging in and out of traffic, and you would call those guys idiots ready to cause an accident. And then there's the other drivers that drive super slow, and you'd say, hey, you stupid idiot, pull over. Right? Because there's two drivers. There's the ones that are going to cause the accident, and then there's the ones that are going to keep you from getting where you need to be on time. Two kinds of drivers. Now, here's, here's why I mention that to you. Because if you look for flaws, you will find flaws. I'll guarantee if you search for faults, you will be successful. You'll go through life wondering, why do people seem to want not to be around me? Pearl pushing is a lonely way to live life. Pearl pushers tend to adopt a tone of superiority. And the pig generally notices this. Pigs have a pretty sensitive radar. So the teaching here is if the pig isn't ready for your pearl, don't push your pearl. Part of love is not just knowing what to say or how to say it, but it's knowing when not to say it. In Proverbs, it says this, if anyone loudly blesses their neighbor early in the morning, it will be taken as a curse. The pig wants to sleep. So I just read recently about a lady who loved Jesus, and that's a good thing. She wanted her husband to love Jesus. That's a good thing. She had this spiritual pearl. She wanted to give to him so much, but she kept trying to force the pearl on him. She would tell him, read this spiritual book, listen to this godly podcast, consider these five proofs that God exists. She would constantly remind him, I'm praying for you. Sometimes she would pray at the dinner table while her husband is sitting there and the food's getting cold for Jesus to save her husband. Have another pearl, have another pearl. The pig wasn't really happy about that. And that's Kind of where we end up sometimes when it comes to telling other people about your faith. You know, we're headed into this great time of the year. It's the, probably the, the biggest calendar event on the church calendar. What do we call it? That's right. And we're headed to Easter, and it's a great time for po folks who might be a little bit open to exploring who God is. They might be open to coming to church. It could be such a great time to talk to folks. But one of the most important tips you can follow is obeying the law of supply and demand. In other words, monitor the level of demand for spiritual conversation that's coming from the other person. Are they asking questions about God? Are they wanting to know what your story is? You adjust your level of supply how long you're going to talk about spiritual matters to be proportionate to the level of demand that they're asking for. If the other person's not looking at you anymore, if they're not nodding their head, if they're not asking questions, if they're not making those listening sounds, you know, like, mm-hmm, yep, mm-hmm. If they're leaning back, if they stop talking, you have violated the law of supply and demand. Stop pushing the pearl and start watching the pig. Pearl pushing 
can happen in marriage. It can happen in the workplace. It happens between friends. And uh, get this, it happens in the church, like right now. It must be spring break time. But the place where, and this is in my humble but accurate opinion, pearl pushing is most likely to happen and most likely to do damage is between parents and children. Parental pearl pushing is a major source of alienation within a family. Now, we just, on Thursday, our, our newest member of our family was born into our family, Thailand. And I was remembering when Leela was first born. And um, when we brought her home from the hospital, I became a crazy nut job, more crazy, more nutty. Because all of a sudden I pull up to a stop sign, and the guy who had the right-of-way went, and I started kind of edge out there, and all of a sudden I hit the brakes, and I'm like, don't you know I've got a baby in here? I got a little bit over the top on that. And, and so, you know, when, when these children are born, parents, mostly dads, I think, get overwhelmed with the thought that we need to watch over every part of these kids' lives, every moment. We control when they eat, what they eat. We control when they sleep, what they're going to wear, where they're going to go, who they're going to be with, and what they're going to hear. We could, well, no, we couldn't mess them up. We did mess them up. They all need to go to counseling. And, and that's a very heavy weight for us because as, as we become parents. And I think there's only one thing harder than being in control of your child's life. Do you know what that is? That's right, not being in control of it. Because now it's going to drive you nuts. And we live with the pressure, the expectations, the worries, the hopes, the love, ego, all mixed together. And that's just the truth for those of us who are parents. Now here's a true story. One mom who had tried really hard to get her daughter into a top choice school so she could have a great life said this, my daughter didn't get in. Obviously, she didn't give a bribe. <laughs> I'm worried about what this means for the future, the mom said. And that's really understandable. But the problem was, her daughter was only three years old. You see, that's what happens. Inflated expectations and pressure can lead to pearl pushing. Sit up straight. Clean your room better. Get your homework done. Did you get your homework done? I don't think that model of the nuclear reactor is good enough to get an A, so I guess I'll have to do it for, for you. Why aren't you more like, why don't you do, can't you just, why are you such a disappointment? You may not say those questions out loud, but the pigs, remember I told you, have really sensitive radars. And everybody here had parents. So here's the question I want to ask all of you. How many of you really wish your parents had given you one more lecture when you were growing up? I need one more lecture on cleaning my room. I need one more lecture on how to save money. I need one more lecture on how to be a good human being. How many of us really wanted to do it? Yeah, that's what I thought. 
How many of us got one too many lectures from your parents? Okay, about six of you are honest. So, the point of Jesus' teaching here on pearl and pigs is, isn't, it's not don't confront. It's not don't set boundaries. It's not don't enforce consequences. We all need to do that. That's part of a parent's job. Jesus' point is don't force your wisdom on a non-receptive person. You cannot control any other human being when they have, um, they have their own little kingdom. It's not your kingdom. You cannot make any human being do what they don't want to do. You cannot get into their kingdom and do it. You have to let go. You have to make space for God. And so here's, here's the other thing is that the, we have these, these little folks in our, in our world that have built these little kingdoms in their own life and we want to come in and get into their kingdom and control their little lives as best that we can. And so they've got their little kingdom here and you know they're going to rule in their kingdom. God has given each of us a kingdom that we rule in. And so you know when we have these kingdoms like this going on, we have to make sure that that we are only taking care of our kingdom. But the only one that can enter into this kingdom and make the deepest level of influence is not you. It is not anybody else. The only one who can really do it is God. And for, the, for those of us who love God, who follow Jesus, is what we want more than anything else is for our children, for them to love and know and follow God as much as we do. I, I know that maybe there's nothing more painful for a parent than to have them know that the greatest treasure of their life is unwanted by their child. The flag that we want them to be flying from the castle of their heart is not the one that says pig, it's the one that says Jesus on it. And our tendency is to push the pearls of the gospel onto our children who don't want that. Now, I want, I want you to understand this. God made everybody to be free. God makes people. God makes people free, even at the cost of great pain to himself. Think about that. God loves people. He loves them so much, even when they use their God-given freedom to re reject God. That's got to be one of the greatest things that God has to deal with that we don't know anything about. Because he makes the sun to shine, causes the rain to fall on people who love him and on people who shake their fist in God's face. That's how much he loves these people. And this is why in a spiritual flourishing church, everybody, not just the parents, everybody owns helping our children and our students grow up in faith, in God, in life, and in love. Now let me make this really personal for us. Because... In this church, we have children over here. We have kids in the nursery back there. We have youth group that meets on Wednesday night. And what I have heard from, from some pastors who have larger churches than what we have is their goal in life is for um, 
for every one child, there should be Remember, I failed art. There should be five, one teacher to five student ratio. That's what the big churches are telling us. We need to have one teacher for every five kids in, in our kids' ministry and in our youth ministry. Right now, what we have going on in our church is we have a, a volunteer vacuum in our church. We don't have, I don't even know if we have, uh, we hardly have enough people to man the kids' ministry we've got going on right now. And to be a flourishing church, we want to see, this is the evidence, the growth, it comes in that room right there. We want that room to get so jam-packed with kids that we have to go out and buy two she sheds to put on that side of the building so that we can put the little kids in other rooms so we can make more room for growth, amen? All right, so what we need to do then is we need to have people who are going to go, I don't know a whole lot. Listen, you don't have to have a theology degree to teach the kids. You don't have to know a whole lot about the Bible. We have material that is user-friendly for the teachers. And all we need is some people to go like, hey, you know what? I'll give it a try. Listen, you go in there one or two times, and if it's not your cup of tea, that's all right. We'll let you go free. You're not stuck in there for a lifetime. I want you to know that. But, but you never know if you don't try it out, right? So we want you to try it out. The other thing I don't want you to do today is I don't want you to hear this message and go like, dadgummit, now I'm all guilty about this. I guess I better go sign up and help those little rugrats. No, I don't want you to go on guilt. What I want you to do is I want you to seek what God would have you to do. I want you to ask God this question. Could you use me in our kids or our youth ministry to influence them for the kingdom of God forever. Now that's what we need to do with kids, but here's the other big deal. And this comes from people who research faith within families, within churches. They're, 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 they're doing the, all the work of watching kids come through the church, go out the back doors, go off to college, and never step back into church. And they're saying the reason that we have that epidemic going on in our churches that people are leaving and not coming back, kids are leaving and not coming back, is because now this ratio has to flip. Now, instead of you've got one little kid right here, and you can get a smile on his face, that little guy needs five adults in their life to help them get from that room to that room to the youth group and out the door. And when they walk out the door, they're not believing in their mom and dad's faith. They've claimed Jesus as their own, and now Jesus is the king of their life, not their parents' life. And that's what it takes. So it takes everybody who belongs to this church to help raise the little children of this church to grow up to be fully devoted Christ followers. We have to be intentional about introducing our kids to Jesus. And that's the most important thing we can do, because if we're not doing that here, then we might as well shut the doors back there and, and, and just call it good. And so that's what God wants us to do. And so when you think about this whole thing, 
in, in the process. You need to know this. That you love your children deeply. You love your children unbelievably. But God loves your children more than you love them. And when your heart breaks for your children because they're, they're walking away from God, God's heart breaks more than your heart breaks. And so what is it that we're supposed to do? How do we help out these people? I, I just want you to watch what I'm doing here. I'm, I'm going to go and I'm going to get rid of some pages. I'm going to tell one story, then I'm going to follow it up with three passages of Scripture. And this is a story, and, and maybe you've heard it. I, I don't know whether you have or have not heard this story. And it's a story, and it's, it's, a, it's a, a great story of what it means for us to stop looking with a critical eye. Stop trying to focus your, you know, force your wonderful pearls all the time on other people. And it was written a long time ago, but I want you to know something. It is fictional. It's a fiction story. By the way, Jesus told fiction stories too. Prodigal son. That's fiction. But here's, so here's the story. And, and there's a story behind the story. And the story is about a fifth grade teacher. You may have heard this. The story is about a fifth grade teacher named Mrs. Thompson. And a fifth grade boy she did not like. His name was Teddy Stallward. Teddy did not play well, well with other children. His clothes were kind of a mess. He was just unpleasant to be around. He was kind of that disruptive, dis uncooperative kid that you would have in the classroom. It got to the point where she kind of took delight in taking a red marker and marking red ink all over his papers so he knew he wasn't doing well. That kind of made her feel good. It wasn't until about halfway through the year when she re was receiving his files that she learned his story. Because everybody has a story. You have a story. Teddy's first grade teacher wrote, Teddy is a bright child with a ready laugh. He is a joy to be around. His second grade teacher wrote, Teddy is an excellent student, well liked by his classmates. But he is troubled because his mother is very Ill, ill. Life at home must be a struggle. His third grade teacher wrote, Teddy's mother's death has been hard on him. He tries to do his best, but his father doesn't show much interest. Teddy's fourth grade teacher wrote, Teddy is withdrawn, does not show much interest in school. By now, Mrs. Thompson realized the problem, and she was ashamed of herself. She felt even worse when her students brought her Christmas presents wrapped in beautiful ribbons and bright and shiny paper, except for Teddy. Teddy brought her a present, but it was quite clumsily wrapped in heavy brown paper he got from ripping up an old grocery bag. Mrs. Thompson was quite careful to open it in the middle of the other presents. Some of the children started to laugh when she found an old rhinestone bracelet with some of the stones missing and a bottle that was about one quarter full of just some cheap perfume. She stifled the children's laugh when she exclaimed how pretty the bracelet was, putting it on, and then dabbing some of the perfume on her wrist. Teddy stayed after school that day just long enough to say, Mrs. Thompson, you smell just like my mom used to. 
And that bracelet looked really pretty on your wrist like it did on hers. After the children left, she cried for a half an hour. On that day, she quit teaching, reading, writing, and arithmetic, and she began to teach yoga. Mrs. Thompson paid particular attention to Teddy. As she worked with him, as she saw something good in him, his mind seemed to come alive. The more she encouraged him, the more she believed in him, the faster he responded. By the end of the year, Teddy had become one of the smartest children in the class. Six years later, she got a note from Teddy, and he wrote he had finished high school, second in his class. Four years later, she got another letter saying that while things had been tough at times, he would soon graduate from college with highest honors. Then four years later, four more years passed, and eventually another letter came. This letter was signed Theodore F. Stallward, M.D. He told her he'd met a girl, and he told her he was getting married. He asked if she would come and sit in the place of, her, of the mother of the groom. She did. She wore the old bracelet. She wore the perfume he gave her. When he thanked her for being the best teacher he ever had, she told him he had it all wrong. He was the one who taught her. The story was written by a woman named Elizabeth, Elizabeth Bowery. She said it was triggered by two real-life events. One was the time when she had been teaching Sunday school because she is a, a follower of Jesus, the Jesus who said, don't cast your pearls before swine. She was teaching, and a grubby little boy gave her a rhinestone bracelet and a bottle of cheap perfume. That moment reminded her of when she was a little girl and grew up in a family that was quite impoverished. She had no money, so she bought, brought her teacher a gift of pecans from a tree in the yard. All the other students started to laugh. Her teacher stopped them. Her teacher saved her by saying she was going to make a fruit cake, and this was just what she needed. Now, of course, everybody knows that she really wasn't going to make a fruit cake because nobody makes fruit cake. Fruit cake just happens like accidents and sinkholes. <laughs> but I think the reason that this story touches so many people is that we forget every day we choose the eyes to use to see people. Eyes of judgment or eyes of love. And I don't know about you, but I think this world is kind of tired of Christians pushing their pearls on people who don't want them. Now, here's, here's where it all comes together. Here's what Jesus told us. Because when you think about our role in this world. We have a very specific role that Jesus gave us. But here's what he told his disciples in John chapter 16. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I go away, the helper will not come. If I, if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes... He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin because they do not believe in me. 
Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will see him see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. So, in, in short, what Jesus is telling us is that when the Holy Spirit comes, the Holy Spirit has a specific, one of his specific tasks is to bring conviction to the sinner's heart. And so, instead of us casting our pearls before the swine that they don't want, we need to be praying that the Holy Spirit comes and brings conviction to this person. That's our job, is to pray for the Holy Spirit to do the work that the Holy Spirit needs to do. We are not the Holy Spirit in their life. God is. And our job is to pray that the Holy Spirit will convict them and we don't stop praying until they've come to Christ. These little pearls right here, that's, we need to use those. That's a mess. With discernment. That's what Jesus is saying about the pearls we have. He's given us pearls to use, but we have to have a discerning eye when we're using the pearls God's given to us. In other words, remembering to have the law of supply and demand in our mind as we're taking our pearls to share with somebody else. You want to save your family? Remember the supply and demand principle. Don't take your pearls and and shove them down your kids' throats because they'll just throw up on them. And then you will have kids who have turned their back, not just on God, but on you. Here's what, what Paul said to the church, the Galatian church. He said, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the de- desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposite to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So really what Paul is saying is is that as we are led by the Spirit of God, and we let the Spirit of God lead us, and we've got our ear attuned to the Spirit of God, we're being discerning with the pearls, and we know what the Holy Spirit is doing there, and we do our work, and then we get involved up here with this group of people right here to help this child, whichever child it is that we pick, that we're going to see them through those doors. So when they go to college, they are the major influencer on their campus for the kingdom of God. This little kingdom down here that has the pig in it, the only way that kingdom changes is when God intervenes in that kingdom and all of a sudden, on this kingdom right here is this. It is the cross of Christ drenched in his blood and that kingdom no longer is a pig kingdom, but it is a new kingdom, and that kingdom is Jesus Christ. And that's what God's calling each of us to do. So, as you go from one relationship to another, ask God this question. God, would you help me to see what you want me to see when, you, when I look at this person, whoever they are. Would you help me to think what you want me to think, feel, and do, what you want me to say, and when you want me to say it. Then the little 
then little bit by little bit, his kingdom will come from there down to here, and it will transform these kingdoms on earth. Here's what it says in the book of Colossians, and I close with this verse. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. That's God's call for us today. The word of God dwell richly in our hearts so we have pearls of wisdom and truth to pass on at the right time. Now, I'm going to do something a little bit different this morning because I know that in a room like this, I'm not the only pearl pusher. I'm sure there are others here who are going, I've done a really bad thing, and I need help. And so I want to pray for you this morning, but I'm going to ask you to be bold. I'm going to ask you to identify yourself as a pearl pusher who needs to learn the law of supply and demand. So if you want me to pray for you because you've been pushing your pearls and the pig has turned around and bit you, I want you to stand up right where you're at, where you're at, so I can pray for you. If you want prayer, you stand up where you're at. I'm going to pray for you. Our Father, this morning, you know each of our hearts. You know, God, that you have given, we know that you've given us this great, marvelous truth the greatest thing we could ever receive from you are these truths that come from the mouth of Jesus. And yet, Jesus has called us to a better way. He has called us to a deeper place. He is telling us today, Father, not to push the pearls, but to have ears that hear, eyes that see, discerning hearts, so that we only give the pearl that will be received. And then we pray, God, that your Holy Spirit will take the pearls that we give because you told us that your word will never go out on the water and come back void. It always brings a harvest. And so we want to trust you with that. Help, uh, help us not to be pearl pushers, but help us to be the people who understand the law of supply and demand with these people that are in our lives. And we just want to trust you for your work to do a great thing. And so for all these who are standing up, God, I pray that you would, you would help them to get ears of sensitivity, that you would help them to see what you see, to hear what you hear, to say what you would have them to say, and that your kingdom would grow because of it. So we commit them to you in Jesus' great name. Amen.